there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hey guys. So our scripture reading tonight is going to be in Revelation 7, 9 through 12. So y'all can follow along the screens. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could remember, from every nation, from all tribes and tongue and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, y'all, it's good to be back together for another week here in the chapel for Oxano. And y'all, I I was uh, talking with some of you all before um, because this season, I just love it. There's so many good movies that are out in the theaters. I don't know when the last time you went to the theater but, I mean, you have no shortage of things. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about Dune, and even though it's like the best thing out right now. Uh, but, I mean, you got the Eternals coming out this week. I mean, it's, I mean, just go. there's something about being back in a movie theater. And I know that Dune, you know, talking with Drew, talking with Tyler, talking with some folks before, you know, mixed reactions, and that's a lot, two and a half hours for virtually nothing to happen. It's world building, y'all. It's world building. It's okay. More is coming. But, like, we're going through, and something that people don't really disagree on when it comes to movie-wise is the fact that Christopher Nolan is like the goat when it comes to directing, right? And so maybe you don't know Christopher Nolan by name, but like if you've seen the Dark Knight trilogy, right? Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, all that kind of stuff. You've seen Inception, right? You know, you go through Interstellar. My goodness, what Hans Zimmer does with an organ and how he does it with space. Like, it just fits. I never would have put it together, but my word. Yeah, Caleb, you listen to soundtracks. You know what's up. And so, like, we're going through, I mean, Christopher Nolan, the movies that he does. Like, I mean, Tenet, I still am trying to figure out. But it's one of those things, like, you go through and you're like, I don't entirely know what I just watched, but I love it, Right? One of the things that Christopher Nolan does time and again in his movies is he brings something, a device that he uses called recurrence. And so what you'll be able to see is at the beginning of his movies, what he will often do, opening shot, it's a scene from the end of the movie. And you are just kind of dropped in and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. The Prestige, I didn't mention that one, but my goodness gracious, y'all. You walk in the woods and you see all these top hats around and you're like, what on earth? And then what he will do is, after giving you that little breadcrumb, it will reprise itself throughout the course of the movie until it comes full force at the end and you have understanding of what it was that you saw. What we saw tonight in Revelation chapter 7 is something very similar. That when we are starting this new sermon series called Every, an emphasis on global missions, we're talking about every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, What we need to do here is we need to begin with the end in mind. We need to begin with the end in mind. And so what we're doing is rather than going immediately into what we've got to do right now, all of the steps that we've got to take is that we need to see where we're headed. And we were able to see that a little bit in Revelation chapter 7. 
as we are, through John the Revelator, are able to see this vision of the throne room of God with people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And so as we come together, we're going to look. I want, you to, I want you to see the scene, and then we're going to scratch the surface for some significance tonight. So let's look in your Bibles at Revelation chapter 7, or if you don't have your copy of God's Word, it'll be up on the screen. I'm going to read again what Avery just read. And we're going to sit in here, and we've already, if you've gone through and reading the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, it's very similar. The call to worship video that we had tonight That was from Revelation chapter 5, but you're going to see a lot of these things being reprised, repeated, coming up again and again. And let's look at verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, a big old crowd, that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, And what were they doing? They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all of the angels were standing around the throne and all of the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And they were saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is where humanity is heading. This is the end for us. That as we are going through, I want you to see the scene that there is a great multitude that cannot be counted. This big old crowd that we are just now hearing whispers of in Genesis when God made a promise, a covenant to Abraham, right? Genesis chapter 12, he said that if you were to go through, I'm going to bless all of the families of the earth through you. That yes, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to pick you out. And you are going to be a conduit of blessing to the nations, to the families. And then we see just a little bit later on in Genesis 22 that God again makes the promise that his descendants would be multiplied like the stars of heaven or like the grains of sand on the seashore. That what we have right here, that there is God making good on his promise. From Genesis to Revelation, All the families, all the nations, all the peoples, all the languages coming together and being blessed. And as they're coming together, we see there is diversity that is here, right? That it is from every tongue, every tribe, every people, every nation. Not from one nation. Not just from the nation of Israel. Not just from America, right? It's not just one nation. It's not just from one tribe, but every tribe. That sometimes we think, oh, it's just going to be me and my people or the people that think exactly like I do or just my denomination or this, that, or the other, but not from one tribe, but from every tribe. Not from one people, but from every people. Not from one language, but from every language coming together. And this is the truth that we've got to hold on to about what this is going to look like, that God's glory shines bright when it is reflected through image bearers 
from every, every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. You're going to see this on the screen. I want you to have this and hold on to this. God's glory shines bright when it is reflected through image bearers. Those humanity, we bear his image. And as we reflect that out from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation, there is diversity that is here. There is representation from all of the places that the Lord God has ordained and created. So there is diversity, but I also want you to see that there is unity here amidst the diversity. And there is unity, and it's not based on their nation, their tribe, their people, or their language, but what is it that unites them? It's the Lamb. It's where they're standing. It's what they're oriented towards. It's who they're looking at. It's who they are pointed to. It is who they are crying out to. It is to the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain. Because you see, the thing that they all held in common, because they were from all tongues, tribes, peoples, and nations, but the thing that brought them together was the resurrected and glorified Son of God. That that is what brought them together. That is what true gospel unity looks like that's not manufactured, fabricated, or forced. When we are surrounding Christ. And when we do this, y'all, when we are surrounding Christ, we realize that we have more in common with people from across the globe and from different time periods and that speak a different language than you do other freshmen at Sanford or UAB or Birmingham Southern or Jeff State that don't know Jesus. I heard one of the presidents of our Southern Baptist Seminary say a little while ago that you, as an 18-year-old, have more in common with an 88-year-old who believes in Jesus than you do with another 18-year-old who likes all the same things that you do, who's at your same school, is a part of your same clubs or organizations, but that does not follow Christ. Why? Because you hold in common something that will last and something that is eternal. Something that will make it through to the new heavens and the new earth. We don't look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are eternal. And so we are united around the throne. And we are united around Christ who sits there. And what are they doing? They are clothed in white robes. We see a little bit after this passage in verse 14 that they are clothed in white robes. And how are they white? They are washed in the blood of of the Lamb. They are cleansed by sacrifice. That what was impure has been taken away. And what are they doing? They are waving palm branches. It was a symbol of deliverance that was worked by the, by the Messiah. It's the reason why Jesus, when he came in the week of the crucifixion, right, on Palm Sunday, and everybody was waving the palm branches, right? They thought that the Messiah was coming to deliver them, but they thought it was going to be militarily. He was coming to deliver them from the oppressor, not of Rome, but of sin. And now we see, looking forward, using the palm branches right here, and they say that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to Him, y'all. And they are able to testify it belongs to Him and He has given it to us. That is the only reason that we are able to stand here with everyone else from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And there's the angelic hosts, the four living creatures. 
the elders, and they are all falling down and worshiping God. And we have a sevenfold doxology. That again, book of Revelation, highly symbolic. Numbers mean a lot. That we go right here, seven, perfection, completion, perfect praise, piled up right here for the providential God. Blessing, glory, wisdom, thanksgiving, honor, power, and might be to our God forever and ever. This is the scene. This is where we're heading. And God's glory shines bright when it is reflected through image bearers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So what is the significance of this for us? And we're just going to begin to scratch the surface of the significance for us. But if we were to look at this, we see that because there will be people around the throne of Jesus from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, because of this, we must go to them and tell them about Jesus. Because this is where we are headed, we must go. This is where we're headed, y'all. It's like with um, mental maps. Like, what's a mental map, right? Uh, any of y'all, you know, jet setters, you travel around a lot, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you've been places, right? I, 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 I've never been anywhere. It's very sad. Uh, I, have, you know, well, I take that back. I, I've been, I went to Mexico this summer with my wife. It was awesome. First time I had really been anywhere, farthest away I've ever been from home, right? But you go, like, some of you are just, like, wanting to go all across the states, right? You have the little scratch-off map. When you've been to a place, you scratch it off and everything like that, right? You go to a new city, you know, for this upcoming weekend. Like, I'm going to be going with my wife's family to the mountains in North Carolina to a place that I've never been before. Like, but you're able to go through it. And when you go to a new place, it's like your mental map gets a little bit bigger. You know what I'm talking about? That you're like, wow, this is a place that I've never seen before. But they've obviously been doing life here, right? That things are settled. Things are established. They weren't waiting for me to get here, but they've been doing just fine. And I got to come, I got to see, I got to experience. And yet, maybe it's something that's so close. I imagine Highlands, North Carolina is not going to be that different than, you know, Homewood, Alabama. But as I go to like parts of Mexico, I went to Toronto. Like, you know, there are just multicultural cities. And I'm like, wow, this world is so much bigger than my little bubble in Birmingham, Alabama, right? And as we're going through, as our mental map has expanded, like our mental map, our spiritual map needs to be expanded in being able to see where we're headed. And it needs to change the way that we live here and now. That we won't go somewhere new every day, but we can return to this vision every day and allow it to expand our hearts and our minds. And if that's where we're headed, like how do we get there? Because some through church history have just been like, okay, well, this is where we're headed. Well, God's got it, right? That there's, I mean, this is going to happen, so I can just, you know, kind of kick back, right, you know, and just wait for the day. But you see, the thing about it is that God and his providential wisdom has so ordained for us to be a part of the process. And this is where we see the tension in Scripture, in God's sovereignty and human responsibility, that God will bring this about. It is fixed, it is short, it is firm, it is coming. But he is using us to do it, to accomplish his purposes. And people are like, well, when is it going to happen? 
And, you know, some people are really worried that it's going to happen. Some people really long for the day when it happens. We were talking about this on our team. It's like there's some days when the darkness just seems so strong that you're like, come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. And we're always curious about when is this going to happen? Well, we see in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 of when this is going to happen. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom, it will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to all nations as a testimony, and then the end will come. The gospel has not yet gone to all nations. The end has not yet come. We don't know when it is, but we can pick up on what we see Peter in his epistles starts to talk about how there is some way in the mysterious sovereignty of God that we can actually work towards hastening his coming. And the way that we do that is that we get wild about sowing the seed of the word of God widely among places where his name is not yet known in places where the church is not yet shining as a light and being salt. There's a lot of work to do, y'all. There's a lot of work to do. And we're not going to be able to fulfill Matthew 24, 14 if we just gather together and if we play church. That when we get together, we maybe like you, maybe like me, in preparing for this, I was jolted out of my dozing off of God's heart for the nations. And as we're going, like this is what is before us, that today over 3.2 billion people in over 7,000 people groups are what we would call unreached. Over 3.2 billion, that's a lot of zeros. But y'all, when we put stuff like this up there, it's very easy for it just to be relegated to the category of statistics. But we need to remember that every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters in the providence of God. And as we're going to, and we realize that there are 3.2 billion people in over 7,000 people groups that do not know Jesus do not have, that's what we would say about unreached. Unreached peoples and places are those among whom Christ is largely unknown and the church is relatively insufficient to make Christ known in its broader population without outside help. That people here, yes, there are people on your campus who do not know Jesus. And that's part of the reason why I'm called here. But there are people at Sanford, at Birmingham Southern, at UAB, at Jeff State, at Miles College, they have access to the gospel. How? Because you're there. Because the church is planted here. But there are places where Christians are so few and far between that there is no access, that there is no church, that there is no way for them to be able. They will be born, they will live, and they will die without ever knowing the God who made them and redeemed them. as we're going through and as we look at the fact that there are all of these unreached, that the most of them live in something called the 1040 window. Are y'all familiar with the 1040 window? We have a map up on the screen. 
that the 1040 window, it's uh, longitudinal, right? That we have the 10 degrees north longitude, then we have the 40 degrees latitude, that we have this right here, that the majority of those 3.2 billion people who do not have access to the gospel live in this one large stretch of the world. And that the prevailing religions that people ascribe to here are Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. No access. Hard to reach places. And these people, if they do not know Jesus, they will die and they will spend an eternity separated from Him. And not just something for the future and for when they die, but they do not know the blessedness of following Jesus now here in this life. For us, we want to see the worship of God reflected in all parts of his creation and in all peoples. And I, I love this. And when we're talking about missions, sometimes we can think that missions is like an end in and of itself, especially if you've been in church for a long time. It's like, oh yeah, we're the church. We just do missions, right? We'll do missions all the time. And so like missions, missions, missions. I love missions. But missions is not an end in and of itself. I love the way that I heard John Piper put this many years ago when I was in college. That missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exists because worship of God does not exist in other places. That's why we go. That they can know the God who made them, the God who redeemed them, the God who wants to be with them again. And so that they can give their worship and their praise and their thanksgiving and their honor and their glory to this God. Missions is not an in and of itself. That it is for the purposes of seeing people do what they were created to do. And that is to worship God. This is the task before us and we participate in missions because we want to see people from every tribe, every tongue, every people and nation come to worship him. And so, y'all, I mean, we look at this in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus gives us this prayer, it makes a whole lot more sense. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful. And the laborers, they're few. There's this disparity between the task that's before us and those who are acting on it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There is a huge task before us. And y'all, I want you to hear this, that he will use us to accomplish it. He will use us. God, in his providential wisdom, has seen fit to use us. And some people all the time, well, I mean, it would just be wonderful if God could just like, you know, go through and put up everything in the clouds, right? Or that, you know, if just there was this like one night where everybody had the same dream, you know, that that would be a great way to be able to get it out. And the thing about it is you can hear from people that are on the front lines of missions that, yes, there are those that have the dreams, but they always require somebody to be able to help interpret those. 
We see this in the New Testament, that any time the gospel is advancing forth, it is done through a human instrument. That it is someone being surrendered and saying yes to God. Peter and Cornelius, Cornelius has a dream, but what does he need? He needs Peter to be able to come and help to interpret it. That God using a person, a human instrument, someone that is available to be able to go and to share. And it's the reason why we see Paul in Romans chapter 10. Y'all look at this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise God, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to ever hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith, it comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. How can people hear unless people preach? And how can people preach unless they are sent? Unless they go. Because the gospel, it's a message with words about what has been done on their behalf. That Christ has come, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. And this is the best news that we could share with people. This is how you are back with God. And as we go forth and share us, he will use some of us as pioneer missionaries, taking the gospel to these unreached places. You know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that like um, when everything is missions, nothing is missions. You know, I've talked a lot about junk drawer words here lately, like on Sunday morning at Life Group and everything like that. You, yes, please be an on-campus missionary at your school. We need that. Like when we had CalCon here, J.D. Payne, Missional Minds, Global, Local. Yes, love it. Want every part of it, you know. Please view, have a missionary mindset when you go to your campus, all on board. But I want you to hear that Paul, in Romans chapter 15, there is kind of a distinction in his mind between working and evangelizing in places where there is already a gospel presence and going and taking the, taking the gospel to places where Jesus is not yet known, right? Let's look at this in Romans chapter 15. He's winding down the letter, the landing gear is coming down on this massive theological treatise. And this is what he says in Romans 15, starting at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What? <laughs> For Paul to be able to go all of these places that he has planted all of these churches and that he has left Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and these other guys and young women and they in Philippi, Thessalonica, Colossae, on and on and on. And he is able to say in verse 23, 
I no longer have any room for work in these regions. Paul, I'm pretty sure you told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Right there, he was in Ephesus. What do you mean? It's because Paul has a distinction in his mind that there are some of those who are called to stay and to evangelize and to disciple and to make sure that territory that has been pioneered is developed. But what he was called to was to take the name of Jesus to places that had never even heard a whisper of the name of Jesus. That's why he said, there's no room for work for me over here. And I've got folks over here that are doing the good work. But I long to go to Spain because there they don't know the name of Jesus yet. And church at Rome, I can't wait to come see you, to be encouraged by you. And I'm sure you're probably going to give me a little bit of money to go do it. But as I'm going, I want to preach the name of Jesus where it is not yet known. That God will call and use some of you for that very purpose. To be able to share the hope of the gospel with people who have no hope. He will use some of us in this room to be able to do it. And he will use the rest of us to send and to support these pioneer missionaries through prayer, through giving, and through visiting. And y'all, this is one of the things that I've just had to be jolted out of in my slumber that y'all, because we, we, we can just drift or we can be lulled or we can be enticed by the things of the world and we can forget our mission. We can forget the reason why we are here. This is where we're headed. We need to begin with the end in mind. And because of that, the pulse of the church is to see worship happen. And that leads us to mission, to places where Jesus is not yet known. And because of that, We either go or we help to send. I love the way I heard a pastor put it many years ago that for us, in light of this information, there are only three options for us. We have three options. Go, send, or disobey. Only those three. That God will be calling some of you to go to the nations. And God will be calling the rest of us actively to send them and to support them through prayer, through giving, sacrificial giving, and through visiting. If you talk to missionaries that are on the front lines, it's often a very lonely place. And where they long for the blessedness of the fellowship of being a part of the church. And where it can be as they're trying to shine as a light in a very, very dark place. The wrong can feel oft so strong. And they know that God is the ruler yet, but it's hard to feel it sometimes. And one of the things that we can do is we can labor, labor in prayer for our brothers and sisters that are on the front lines sharing Jesus in places where they might lose their lives. We can give sacrificially. 
We can remember that my goal is not to get the house, to get the wife, to get the life, to get the kids, to get the car, to get the cul-de-sac, and to do this, that, and the other, to impress people that at the end of the day, my goodness, why do we want to impress them? And to see how can I leverage my life, my resources, the things that I have been entrusted to steward for the sake of the mission. And if God is not calling me to go, he is calling me to send and to give and to support. And he's calling us to visit, to be able to go for short term, medium term, long term, to partner together in hard to reach difficult places. To realize that there is, there is strength in numbers and there is blessedness in fellowship. That we can come and we can be a shot in the arm. That we can help to uphold people that feel like they're falling and faltering or they're just stumbling across the finish line. We have three options to go, to send, or to disobey. That the call to follow Christ. Is This is where he is walking. And for us to be disciples, for us to follow him, it leads in this direction. And it might take a little bit of time. It'll take some follow-up conversations. It'll take some prayer and discernment on your part for what this looks like, when and where. But God has called us all with this end in mind. And I don't know about y'all, but sign me up. Like, I'm done living for lesser pursuits of things that won't last. But working towards the ultimate thing. Yes, God has called me to be a minister at this church and at this place and serving you. But I can leverage this for the sake of the nations. God has called you as a student right now to serve him as a teacher, as an accountant, as an engineer. Why not do that strategic, in a strategic place for the kingdom of God? You can make a lot of money, not so that you can live a lavish lifestyle, but so that you can send and support and see the gospel go forward with less obstacles for those that have been called to take it. That there are a multitude of creative ways that God can use you in whatever you are called, whatever you're gifted, whatever you're good at, to be able to get the message of the gospel to places where it is not yet known. Sign me up. You know, it, the Lord could very well be in the process of calling some of you to go and to take the name of Jesus in these places. He did it for uh, this one woman, Charlotte Diggs Moon. Uh, Y'all might know her as Lottie Moon. Uh, I see some head nods knowing Lottie Moon. Man, she was a baller. Man, let me tell you what. Uh, I mean, not like legit. She was four foot three. But like, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, seriously, she was. She was a very, very small woman. Tremendous kingdom impact. It was Lottie Moon. She was born into a wealthy Baptist family from Virginia. She was four foot three, insanely intelligent. Some called her the most educated woman in the South. But she was lost as all get out, apart from Jesus. It was on December 21st, 1858. She went to this church service. Her friends 
had been begging her to come. They had been praying for her salvation. And she finally agreed to go only so that she could openly mock the Christians and what they were doing. But she left that church service on December 21st, 1858, born again. She grew in her zeal for God and for teaching others about him. She started schools here in Cartersville, Georgia, that she's gone through, and she was tearing it up all across the South. But it was in 1872 that she heard a sermon, prayed all afternoon on a Sunday, and surrendered to a call to go. The Foreign Mission Board at the time, man, single women, can't do it. Oh, but there was a trail that was blazed by her older sister and some others. And eight months later, she was able to go and to serve on the mission field as she was led to China. And his Lottie Moon goes to China as a young single woman at the age of 32. She stays and serves there for 39 years. You see, Thomas, my four-year-old, almost he turns five on Monday, y'all. That's nuts. But every Wednesday night here at Dawson Preschool Ministry, we have something called Music and Missions. And Thomas got to meet Lottie Moon. It was really just Carmen Lytle, Marshall's aunt, right? But she was dressed up in a Lottie Moon dress and was bringing the tea cookies that she would make for the Chinese. And so Thomas thinks that he has met Lottie Moon. It's, it's incredible. But as they have been learning about her life, and when we were walking back home from church last Wednesday night, he's like, Dada, Dada, did you know that they told us that we could be musicianaries like Lottie Moon? And part of me was like, that's hilarious, and my heart could burst. You totally can, brother. That as she was going and as she stayed there for 39 years, what many of us would just see is like an insane amount of time. She saw thousands come to trust in Christ. And this is what she said towards the end of her life. I wish that I had a thousand lifetimes to give to the Chinese. She didn't serve without hardship, though. She wrote often of her loneliness and how there was so much more that she could do if only the Foreign Mission Board was not in debt and if they could support their efforts there more, if there were more people that could come alongside and labor. It was towards the end of her life, there was a famine, and she went without food so that the people that she was serving could eat. Some of the other missionaries caught wind of it, and they came over, they found her, And at four foot three, she, later in her life, after not eating for weeks, she was at 52 pounds. And not physically strong enough to be able to fight them off, they carried her to the ship to be able to bring her back to Virginia. But she died en route in Japan. And as she was going through at the age of 72, that same year, there were 2,500 people that were baptized in her region of China. And the people there were so deeply saddened over the loss of the heavenly book visitor, what they called her. They were so saddened over the loss of the heavenly book visitor. And she and her legacy, that's why in Southern Baptist life we have our Christmas offering is the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Where we take up money so that a lot of the things that Lottie was experiencing there, a foreign mission board, now an international mission board that at that time was in debt. Hopefully that would never be the case again. 
that we can leverage our resources so that we can see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. You see, the Lord is calling every one of you who follow him to be a part of this. The Lord is calling every one of you to be a part of this, to go or to send. Which one is it for you? As the Lord is calling every one of you who follow him to be a part of this, to go or to send. To go, it might be with your summer. A lot of you are trying to go through. I'm filling out a lot of resumes or a lot of applications, reference forms for you all. Please ask, send it my way. Be happy to do it. Leverage your summer for the sake of the gospel. It might be to go with your first two years after college. That there are programs I would be more than delighted to get you connected with the right people so that you can use your first two years out of college to be able to take the name of Jesus to places where it is not yet known. Or it might be for the long term that God is calling you out on the front lines as a pioneer on the frontier of missions to be able to take the name of Jesus. For the rest of us to send to make a lot of money. Not so that you can live a lavish lifestyle, but so that you can support the work, that we can accomplish the mission, that we can get to the place that the Lord has said, this will happen. To pray daily for unreached peoples and for those serving there. Y'all might have heard before of uh, Operation World, the book, the prayer book for the unreached peoples. Put it on your Amazon wish list. Get that. You might have seen some of the stuff coming out of Radical, David Platt's ministry. Chris Huntsberger, the CEO of that organization, is a church member here. Getting connected to be able to go through and to talk about Stratus and how you can be praying through the work of God in these hard-to-reach places. Praying daily for the unreached peoples and those who serve there. Or it might be to visit. Like, what would it look like if your vacation schedules in the future we're not just built around places on your bucket list, but while you were going somewhere strategic, you were to seek out opportunities for missionaries, for church planters, for servants of Jesus that are there so that you can take them out to dinner, so that you can share stories, so that you can find out specifically how you're going to pray for them. That we can visit, that we can come alongside, we can encourage, and we can build up. Jesus has called us to follow him. And we will follow him all the way until this scene that we saw in Revelation 7 comes to fruition. We know that he will be exalted. He will be lifted up. He will be praised by all nations. We lift him up as we go as the only hope. We can go, we can send, or we can disobey. God, please move us. Make our heart your heart. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and we can feel overwhelmed with the task. We can ask questions like Paul did, like who's sufficient for these things? But we're grateful that he finishes that thought and he says our sufficiency is from God. We don't go forth in our own strength. We don't go forth in our own power.
or persuasiveness, but we go forth with a message from the king. Would you use us here, even this, this small gathering in Birmingham, Alabama, in November of 2021, would we be able to see folks in Revelation 7 that are there because it could be traced back to the word that was sown here? Use us, God. Help us to go. Help us to send. Help us to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.